And the Lord be with you all. And thank you to those of you that have sent us offerings which enable us to continue to do this. We send this out every week free of charge to the entire world and we are reaching literally thousands upon thousands of people. And it is the offerings that you send that enable us to do this. We have no other underwriting whatsoever. And so, thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to try and finish up this beatitude, the meek shall inherit the earth. We've been there for two weeks, but I need this week to talk about that last part, that the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, we've identified the meek as those that have trusted, and when I say trusted, I want to underline that in purple. I don't mean believe about as a fact or look at it as something in some religious museum of what God used to be like. I mean in this immediate micro moment, trust, lean into the love which God has to you revealed and spoken forever and finally in Jesus Christ who is God from God and brought into our lives by God the Holy Spirit. We've trusted that love and so have committed ourselves to that love, the unlimited, unconditional love of God to you. That's the beginning of meekness, but meekness will then, because of trusting in his love, will entrust all of life into his care and keeping. Do you follow the difference there? I trust in him. His love is so unshakable. I can build my life upon that fact. Then, that being the case, I take my life I take all my loved ones in life. I I take those I work with. I take my neighbors. I take the good, the bad, the annoying, the irritating, the evil. I take my life, all of the events of life, all the hopes I have of life, all the dreams and ambitions. I take my honor and my possessions and I commit them into the hands of this incredible God who loves me, lives within me, and is infinitely for me. David put it in the Psalms at one point. He said, my times are in your hands. My times, that is, this time-space world in which I live, the tick talk of every hour and all that happens in those hours, my times. He said, my times are in your hands. Do you know the relief, (laughs) rest, and all those words that go with it when that is a reality? You've placed these into God's hands. It's freed you from all anxiety then because it's not yours to try and control and to worry as to what might happen, could happen, should happen, perhaps will happen. 
No, you're free. You have placed it into His hands of love. You've cast your care upon Him knowing that He cares for you. That leaves you free. Free then to delight in this life of love, to to pass that on. Once the anxiety and the worry and the anger and the threatenings of life are in his hands, then I'm free to love, free to be gentle, free to be kind, free to exercise the compassion of God right into the persons in my life and into all the situations of my life. Of course, meekness is lived in this micro-moment now. Um, and, And so it's in the midst of a corrupt world that lives by its anxiety. It's, It's fueled by anger, revenge, and envy, and grasping for its rights. And in such a world of anger and anxiety, meekness is is looked upon as a defect, you understand. I mean, if you're not anxious, there's got to be something wrong with you. And if you don't get mad at people and arrive home after work with red face and high blood pressure, then uh, you, you must be a loser, you know, a wimp of some kind. But this text is saying they inherit the earth. That it's, it's saying, no, you're not a loser. In fact, you're the only winner. You see, Jesus equated meekness with real joy. He equated it with that well-being, that deep satisfaction, contentment that's included in the word peace. He said, uh, did he not, that this would bring us freedom from weariness and the heavy load. It would bring rest into our soul. We share in his inheritance. We're walking through life in and with him. You see, only the meek. Now hear me, this is the word of God. You will not hear this from this world system. You will not hear it from the flesh. This is what the Scripture has told us. This is what comes to us in Jesus, the Word of God. Only the meek are the lords, ladies, rulers of this earth. They're the only ones that can handle and use the gifts of God. For the flesh is so self for itself and grasping with ideas of grandeur that the gifts of God would be destroyed in their hands. It's only the meek who had the heart of God and the gifts then of God in their hands to bless the world and not grab from it. The meek shall inherit the earth. Okay, what does this word inherit mean? Let me tell you one thing. It fills the Bible. It's um, really, you could say, it's the subject to the Old Testament in one sense. And it's all the way through the New Testament as being a fulfilled word in Jesus. So what does it mean? Have you ever looked at it before? Inherit. Let's just simply say what it means. It means that you have freely received something 
of value. That is the first thing you know about inherit. You can't buy it. An inheritance is not for sale. Just just the meaning of the word. It means it is freely given to you. You have received it freely. And it is something of value. That is something that you're going to regard highly and treasure in many respects. So what is an inheritance? You might say it's a benefit. It's something that uh, is a given and possession. You're going to walk away from this with something. It's a possession, an inheritance. And of course, it is used usually concerning that which is left, an inheritance that the father leaves for the sons, if you're in the Old Testament, um, and, and it's passed on at his death. Um, and, and so it, it's, that's the second thing I would say about the meaning of this word. It's a possession which the father says the sons should have. But when we come into the New Testament, there's more there than the Hebrew culture. Um, you, you had the Greek culture, which Paul wrote to. And, and so here the inheritance was something equally divided among the children and to be enjoyed immediately, not only ultimately. That is, it wasn't something you had to wait for until the old man died. You can now participate in the inheritance. And also in the Greek culture, the adopted children were equal to the natural-born children, and so they could all enjoy together. Okay, put that on hold. What is the earth? Well, now that's something else. The meek shall inherit the earth. Now, let's get this out of the way. He's speaking present tense. He's he's not talking about some Disney World fantasy in the future when somehow you're going to rule the earth, you know, after death or whatever. No, that's that's pie in the sky. This is right in, in the present tense. Jesus is announcing his now here mission. The earth, it's, it's here. I mean, we walk on the earth. It's, it's the dust between our toes. The earth, practically everything we use arose out of the dust of the earth and the minerals of the earth. Now, it's very, 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 well, it's earthy, okay? It's to do with the place where we live, the earth. And Jesus said we would inherit the earth. Well, that's not real estate. Let's get that out of the way, because I heard somebody say that this means that one day, you know, you will um, be the owner of AT&T or Facebook or something. No, no, please come with me in the Holy Spirit and realize the nature of salvation. It's not just a piece of real estate. What is it? Well, I said it's deeply rooted in the Old Testament along with the word inherit. Right from the get-go, we humans were to inherit the earth. That is, we are the peak of creation and all of creation, the earth stuff, is there to be inherited. And, And that begins right in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden 
uh, without getting into, we don't have the time to get into it, but enough to say the Garden of Eden was filled with everything that they would ever need. It was the place of ridiculous abundance. And he says that of all the trees, all the fruit trees, all the herbs you may freely eat, go gorge yourself on everything that is there. Enjoy the shade of the garden, dance in its pathways, and go down to the rivers which rush on by, and they're there all ready for you to swim in and to drink its clear, pure water, Eden. And the the fact is, it's as Adam was created, then and then God put him into the Garden of Eden and says, "Look, it's all here. It's all yours." So, so you might say that Adam arrived there around uh, July, August time, when the fruits were ready for harvest, when, when everything was bursting, ready to be eaten. He didn't have to wait. He didn't have to work for it. He just wandered through the garden and picked off the fruit and jumped in the rivers. It was all there for him to take. It was the earth. It was the place, the arena where he fellowshiped with God. And that's the amazing thing, that it says he heard the sound of the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. And so the abundance for his natural life what was overshadowed by the glory of the presence of God, where he lived and moved and had his being. He slept in the presence. He delighted in the presence. That was Eden. And that was the first thing that humans inherited. So, but, but then, of course, sin, they lost it. And then there emerges... After the flood, God spoke to Abraham, and there came another inheritance, which was the the return to Eden. And he said there was a land, and he, it was the land of Canaan, but he said it's the land of promise, the land which says the Lord, I'm giving to you, and it will be the land in which God's covenant, God's uniting with the human would be seen. And and these people there would declare, just by their being there, they would declare to the rest of the world the promise and all that God intended for them. And of that place, the Lord says, it has cities. You don't have to build them. You just move in. He says, there are wells there. And of course, in that day and age, water was premium. That was being a very rich person to have your water. And, and, and so, he says, the wells are already dug, wells that you have not dug. And he says, go out there in the fields, pick the grapes, harvest the wheat and the barley. It's all there. Go take it. And as the years unfold, he said, I will bless you, and I'll increase your harvest, and I'll increase your cattle. You will have divine protection and you will have all the provision you need. That was the earth. And that's, as you go through the Old Testament, many times that land of promise is defined as the earth. It was the earth upon which they lived. It was the earth in which the promises of God were interwoven. 
And, and then it became to mean the place of the sum total of all the promises of God. And so the earth was not only the land, the earth on which their feet, foot walked, the land of promise, but also all the promises that God had made. This, is, this was the area in which they worked, the earth. And it was given to them in the full meaning of the word inherit. It was a free gift. It was given to them for them to enjoy. It was a benefit for which they never paid. They only had to trust the promise of the giver. But then the land, that, that's speaking of it very generally, the land was then given by God through Joshua, to every family. I, I'm pretty certain many of you have never read those last chapters of Joshua where it, it shows every family and their inheritance. Uh, you see, there was no realtors in Israel. Did you ever know that? They, you couldn't sell the land because it wasn't yours. It was given to you to enjoy to the full, to pass on to your children. But it was the gift of God. He gave you that land. They, they each received their allotted tract in which they celebrated their covenant relationship with God, which spilled over then to their covenant relationship to each other and to look upon all that God gave them and give him thanks. In fact, it was so connected that um, you, you read in the Psalms, it, it says, the Lord is my portion. That is, the Lord is the allotted tract of my inheritance. They realized that it wasn't just stuff. It was that they met with the giving God in everything wherever they turned because this was their inheritance. Well, that, that's the land of Canaan that became known as the land of Israel from Dan to Beersheba to the river Jordan and beyond, to the great Mediterranean, and so on. But ju just a minute, no, 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 don't, don't get locked in there, because the promise was that this is but the shadow. My intent is to give you the world. That's all lands and peoples. And it was right, I say from the get-go, he, he said this in Genesis 12 in the first three verses, he says that in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you, you, the family specifically of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you will live in this land and be blessed. But my intent, says the Lord, is that all families of the whole earth will enjoy what you are now the beginning of the enjoyment. And in Romans 4.13, he says, For the promise to Abraham, and to his descendant, that he would be the heir of the world. I mean, that way, he says, it was that which Abraham trusted. And um, how did that all work out? Here we have it. That there's an inheritance. It is that God shall be entwined with humans on this earth, that in all that happens in the earth, the earth, 
you see, in the earth I've got my family, in the, in the earth I have my job, in the earth I, I dream my dreams, in, in the earth I meet with my friends and my enemies, in, in my earth position, this allotment that I have upon this earth, I have neighbors, and, and see, that's where everything, this is where society is. And yet he is saying that the Lord would be my allotment. He, he would be the peace of the earth for me. And so that I would meet in a very earthy sense with heaven. I would meet with God himself in all that happened within my little piece of the earth. And, and you see, this is what, what Jesus came for, um, much so. Um, you see, Jesus is the last Adam. What do I mean by that? He is the ultimate human. And, and, and therefore, he came to restore, regain what Adam, the first human, lost. But also, he is the ultimate and final Israelite. That is, he was the perfect servant of his father. And so he who is the final Israelite and the final man, he is going to regain this, that God shall fellowship with us and we shall be blessed in the earth. And so we read uh, of Jesus who is the meek one, he who was God, took to himself the likeness of men, and then humbled himself. He is obedient to the Father, even to death upon the cross. And then in Philippians 2 and chapter 5, where I've been quoting, um, it says, Therefore, because he has carried meekness to its ultimate, therefore God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name. The name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, his meekness, his being the perfect servant of the Father, now he's exalted. And in Psalm 2, it tells us he's speaking, Jesus speaks. Um, he says, I'll tell what the Father said to me, the decree of the Lord. He said, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Ask of me, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth is your possession. And that inheritance of the earth that was given to Jesus, it was not... It was not sort of he's up there and it's down here it's it's not like to some heavenly washington or london where you know that's where jesus is and this is where we are no his inheritance is that he is where we are his inheritance is you and me and all those around you we are his inheritance and he dwells within us through the holy spirit and therefore, he's one with us, and we now share in his inheritance. We inherit the earth because we're in him and he's in us. 
The earth is his, and he says, now you and I are going to enjoy this together. And so, you see, we're together with him. It says we've been made alive together with Christ. We've been raised up with him. We are seated with him in heavenly places where he rules and reigns. And, and so, um, see, Jesus didn't do something for us. He did it as us. We are one with him. And, and then it's made over to us in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, In Jesus we also have obtained an inheritance. And it goes on to say that, Having believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. And so the Holy Spirit brings to you to you as the deepest person that you are, into your home, into your work, wherever you are in this earth. And there he makes over to you everything that Jesus received when he rose from the dead. The whole life of humankind restored to love. The Holy Spirit brings that to us. And he brings it to us full made for it is the very life of Jesus. It isn't that he says, now here's the pattern, try and be like him. You know, what would Jesus do? Try and do it like that. No, (laughs) it's the same as Eden. It's ready to eat. It's the same as Canaan. You've got wells that you didn't dig and harvest to take that you didn't plant. Now, Holy Spirit brings to us the very life of Jesus. And he's the one that converted humanity. He's the one that in his obedience brought the very love and life of God into our humanity. It's finished, he said. He did it. And now the Holy Spirit gives us that life. It's called eternal life. That life of Jesus. And he says, now, in your home, in your work, wherever you tread on this earth and work with stuff made of this earth, right here in this earth, this is your promised land. Go live the life of God. Live it in harmony with Him. It's ours in the Holy Spirit. The Lord is indeed your portion. We experience it in our home, and we experience it in our work. So meekness, you see, is the ultimate dominion. It's the ultimate ruling seated with Christ in the heavenly places with the authority of the risen Jesus to look at my life right here and now. This is my inheritance where I am going to see and taste and touch the love of God triumphant. So all the blessings of heaven now made known in blessings of earth. And of course it's true. Meekness, as we've been talking about it, it promotes health. You see, you'll be much more healthy living that way. And it promotes wealth because that's what God intended. You you work in his love with the stuff of this earth and he looks after you. It brings comfort and safety. Look, the, the meek, just look at them, full of the love of God, radiating the joy of the Lord, living in the peace of God. 
And compare that with those that are anxious and angry. You see, it begins in your own spirit. This is his inheritance, my spirit. And it's my inheritance. Um, I'm no longer a slave, you see. We've, we've talked about it. You see. We're, we're no longer saying he or she makes me do this or he or she makes my life miserable. No, poor slave. No, you own your life. You speak into that life, his love and his strength. So you see, we, we no longer say, how can we put this? I, I'm, people say, I'm, I'm battling with my anger problem. You see, it's my identity. Anything you says my in front of means that's who you are. It's your identity. No, we don't, we don't know. We, we've lost that. Thanks be to God. We say, rather, I was angry. I was bitter. I was full of revenge and anxiety. But you see, I died. In, in the death of Jesus, I was crucified with him. And, and, and my life now is his life. And his life is my life. I'm yoked to him. I, I'm learning this new way of meekness and love, discovering what I'm missing right now, but it's mine. I'm just discovering what I've been missing, that I might grow into this full human in Christ. I'm discovering my new identity, Christ my life, entrusting all in my circle to his Holy Spirit, to work his divine love energy, to produce his fruit of love in them, the kindness and the patience. Do you see what I'm saying? transforms you in all your relationships with other people. You know, when you really sit and think about this, we're, we're in, on the edge of hostile most of the time. People are a threat. People, um, not, not only in terms of the, they're going to hurt us, but they've got more than we've got, and they're doing what we want to do, and, and we're surrounded. They've got more than we've got. And, and and the their car is better than our car, and their house is bigger than ours and and, and our whole life is in this anxiety and, and and we're faced with people, and sometimes it comes out in these words of anger. The meek don't do that, you see well, let me say what that isn't it isn't well, I just take it, you know. I hold it in. I, I, there's a lot I like to say, but I just hold it in. No, that's not meekness. Nor is it saying, well, it's karma. He's going to get back what he gave to me. No, no, we don't believe that. Um, nor, nor is it that rising within. I've got to prove that I was right and he was wrong. No, meekness doesn't do that. I must get revenge. I've got to get even. No, meekness doesn't do that. Or I threaten you. If you don't see it my way, this is what's going to happen. No, that's not meekness. Or to sit in the corner and pout and say, how dare she say that to me? Nor is it sitting at home in anxiety saying, I've got to control the lives of everyone in my circle of friends, my family, my children. I've got to control them. I've got to watch over them and make sure this doesn't happen and that doesn't happen. And they've got to... No, that's not meekness. Or it's the person who says, I've got to speak my mind. It's going to fall where it will. No, meek don't do that either. But you see, meek are not victims. They don't shrug life off as fate. They don't dismiss other people simply because they're foolish and they're not worth to arguing with. 
No, meekness is divine strength, and it's active, and it's intentional. Intentionally committing to God. It isn't you don't do anything. You don't sit there. As I said last week, you're not a doormat. It's intentionally, it's active, committing to God the entire situation with the expectancy of His working it out in me and in the others. So you could say meekness is love's weapon transforming a situation. Let let me read to you from 1 Peter 2. Actually, it begins in verse 18, where it's speaking of servants or persons that worked within the Roman Empire. They they were in a pretty rough situation. They, They worked without pay, got their food, but essentially they were sort of slaves. But but they um, had some nasty people, and, and it speaks there uh, of to some that you work for who are unreasonable, and then it, it speaks of a man who they're under sorrow when suffering unjustly. You get the, but it says that you've been called to a higher purpose. It says Christ suffered for you, but then it says, and it's about the only time in the New Testament it does where it says, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, that that doesn't mean that um, we are, um, you know, Jesus didn't die for us, rather he left in his example. No, 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 no. Peter makes that plain. Jesus died for us in all the ways we always speak. But he says that he also, he is your example for you to follow in his steps. And how did he handle suffering? How did he handle the people who were angry with him? It says, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But, see, it it isn't that, you know, when it says in the scripture that Jesus answered them not a word, It wasn't he was doing nothing. It says, but he was doing something. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And in so he bore our sins, etc. Now, um, what was all that? It says the example. Now, some of you, well, I think most of you actually wouldn't know what this is. Um, It goes back to when I was a child. And so there's some of you listening, and you can relate to this. You see, when I was a child, the big thing in school was to teach you how to write and to read. And writing was very, very, very important because it was days before computers and everything else. So you had a a pen. In my case, it was a, a bottle of ink, and you dipped the pen in the ink, and they taught you how to write the alphabet. But to do that... The teacher gave you, she had written the alphabet, and then there was a piece of transparent paper over that, and you had to trace that so that you came out with a a copy of what the teacher had given. That's this word. That's exactly this word, because they did that back in New Testament days. And, And so he said, Jesus he he's the pattern jesus is this life that i'm talking about now take your life and trace it over his 
He, he, he's your outline. He, he is, you know, when you're going to fill in the blanks on a painting, um, he's the pattern for this kind of imitation. Of course, you can't do that unless you have his life. Do you get it? His life is in you, therefore you can now follow his design and fulfill the pattern that came first in him. And that, that we should follow him, said Peter. Well, that word in the language that Peter wrote in is to tread along behind him, right behind him. So you put your feet precisely where his feet were. So he's saying that this is the secret, if you want to use that word, that this is it. When you're facing life that you can't handle, when you're facing situations that are beyond your capability, you don't get angry and rage and kick and scream, nor do you collapse in anxiety and worry. It says, let him be your living pattern. Let him be the copy paper. And trace your life. Do as he did because you've got his life inside of you. Well, what did he do? He kept entrusting. Oh, that's a, that word in the original language? Let me try and say it quickly. It is the intensifying of giving. I mean, it's giving, but it's in a, a lot of words around it. It means the intentional committing of a situation or a person into another's care, into their care, their safekeeping, and their management. If, if I owned um, an apartment building, um, then I would go to um, a management company and I would hand it over to them. That is, it's not going to bother me anymore. I'm not going to have to deal with the chap on the third floor that won't pay rent. I don't have to deal with that one on the fourth floor that broke his front door. They deal with that. I have handed it over to them for safekeeping. It's in another's care. I can go and enjoy my life and collect the, the dividends because... I have surrendered it. I have delivered it up. I've given it into the care of another. Do you get this? Jesus, Jesus said, this is how to do it. There was no way that he could do anything about what they were doing to him. So does he threaten them and say, don't you know who I am? I tell you when this is over, I'm going to get you. No, 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 he doesn't do that. No. Or does he, you know, give curse for curse, rage, and as they all did when they were crucified, but Jesus didn't. No, he handed it over to his father. As they, the ones who, who were doing to him these atrocities, he gave them into the hands of the father. It's this word, he entrusted. I can't handle this. I give it to you to handle. It transfers, this word transfers the possession and the authority to deal with it to another. So Jesus said this, I, I put into the hands of the Father. It's a word that means I give permission. I, I allow it. 
Interestingly, this same word is used to describe a grape when it's ready for picking. That is, it is saying it is time to hand this grape over to the harvesters. It's time to to have it pick, and that they use the same word. And and so you look at life and you realize that I, I can do. I, I'm at the end of myself. I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do here. Well, don't don't spiral into anxiety. Give it in Christ to the Father. It's time. It's time for him to bring forth his own harvest here. See? And so when, I say again, when Jesus answered them not a word, don't think he just stood there sort of feeling awkward. No, he was entrusting this to the Father. You see, this is really, though really this is too much for now, but Um, that's the meaning of forgive. Did you know that? See, forgive. You'll never learn what forgiveness is from from one of these outfits that, you know, you've got to try and manage forgiveness or it's good for your health, you know. No. Forgiveness, in the biblical sense, is the releasing of a person into God's hands. So they did this and they did that and you, you... You want, you want to get even. You want revenge. But forgiveness is I release them into the hands of God. That's a ma- tremendous act, an intentional act. All that I've just said is intentional act. It's not just saying, oh, well, you know, God will handle this. It is at this hour on the clock, on this day in time, I now intentionally put this person in God's hands because I can't handle this. I put this situation into God's hands because I have no clue what to do or where it's going. And so they are forgiven. That is, they're released into God's hands for Him to handle them and to bring into this situation all the beauty of His person. It leaves me free to bless people. See, you can't bless people if you're mad at them. You can't bless people if you're terrified of them or if you're full of anxieties to what's going to happen. And yet the Scripture says, Romans twelve fourteen says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Or in verse 20 of the same chapter, it says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. He says, boy, this man won't know what to do with you. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. How do you do that? How can you feed your enemy when he's hungry if you're raging? No, it's because you've already given him into the hands of the Father in Christ. And therefore, you're free now. You you don't have all those hostilities and all those anxieties and you're free to feed him or in Luke 6 which is the um, echo of what we hear is as I say Jesus said I say to you love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who mistreat you 1 Corinthians 4 12 says when we are reviled we bless and Okay, you see, 
the beauty of this Christian life, Galatians 5.22, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, it doesn't just wham on us, you know, magically. It's the result of the Holy Spirit working all of this into you. Do you understand me? You, you're there in the office facing all that I've been talking about. How can there be love and joy and peace when you are in a state of anger, rage, and revenge? No way. The work of the Holy Spirit is to produce in you meekness and to bring you to this incredible God-in-human secret of I give this person, I give this situation into your hands and wait expectantly to see what you will do with this. And that's when we realize the love of God and we realize the joy of the Lord and the peace of God and the kindness. It, It all works together, you see. Do you understand now that the meek are the true rulers of the earth? Do you realize this where we are, where all this interaction takes place, this is our inheritance. This is where we're going to discover the glory of God. This is where we're going to discover the life of God actually happening in our lives. We're not slaves of people. They don't make us mad. They don't make us do anything We're rather owning our life, and our life is his life. And we're owning it by handing it over to him. And, of course, this happens in circumstances, you know, which, of course, are made up of people. But the, the bigger picture that we call situations, events, circumstances, you know, you, you face a setback, uh, a plan that just doesn't work, and you feel irritated. And, of course, the old anxiety and fretting, which, of course, is such a waste of time, isn't it? Because it doesn't achieve anything, and I mean absolutely nothing. Uh, you, you spend days of going through what if, perhaps, and maybe, and you're spiraling down into darkness, uh, and uh, nothing happens anyway. It, anxiety is incapable of changing anything except to make matters worse. And all that anger that rises up against the world in general only makes you sick and shuts down your brain. You can't think straight. Um, no, we instead... Now, this, this is bigger. This is a situation. But we commit that entire situation to him. We, we realize... That's, is that a good word? We realize, we recognize, we stand into the fact that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit fill this situation. This situation. This situation that is so annoying to me and looks like a dead end to me, but I, I, I step up. I, I step into the reality. Father, you fill this situation. Jesus, this is where you reign and rule, and I'm inside of you. And so I look at the situation as it is so. And I I look for what he's doing here. And I look expecting his solution. And I ask him for insight as to, to what do you want of me in this situation? Is there anything that I should be doing now? Um, What part do I play? Uh, 
And in the midst of that situation to give thanks to God because I'm in the middle of his adventure of what he's doing here. Look, Joseph, you know the story of Joseph in in Genesis? If his inheritance, he inherited kidnapping. That took place on this earth very much with his brothers as the kidnappers. And they sold him into slavery. Good grief. And they sold him then when they got him to Egypt to Potiphar, the Egyptian lord. Well, you know, and and prior to the kidnapping, the Lord had said to Joseph that he was going to be a world ruler and bless the world. And here he is, a slave sold by his own family to Potiphar. Look, if he had, number one, been bitter at the family, the brothers, if he had been bitter at God for letting this happen, if he looked at his life and said, this is the end, it's a meaningless nothing serving this Egyptian idiot. Well, if that had been the case, we never would have heard of Joseph. He would just disappear from history. Instead, Joseph saw what I'm trying to say tonight, that God is here. God is now. This is the area of his blessing and his provision. This earth on which I stand is my inheritance. Oh, you're a slave here. Oh, that's beside the point. I'm here, and wherever my feet go, it's my inheritance. And... Therefore, everything I touch is blessed, and every uh, decision I make here is filled with divine creativity. What does it mean? You're you're a slave to Potiphar. Who cares about his work? No, I'm here, and therefore I'm serving God, not Potiphar. And the result was the whole of Potiphar's place began to prosper as never before. And Potiphar called him in and said, I don't know who you are, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you touch turns to gold. He said, I'm making you head slave. And then after he said, I'm giving you everything, I'm giving you the books, you look after everything. And then along comes his wife and tries to seduce him, blackmails him, and gets Potiphar to throw Joseph into prison. And you're talking about a prison back in Egypt, um, what, about 2,000 years B.C.? (laughs) Forget it. When you get in those prisons, you never get out. It's a hellhole. And what does Joseph do? Start saying, you know, after all I did for Potiphar, look what he did to me. And, And God, I thought you were with me, but look at this. No, he embraces it in exactly the same way. He ends up being next to the prison guards. He's the prisoner who looks after everybody else. And then comes this chap and says, I had a dream. Well, Joseph had had a dream about being a world ruler. Look where he ended up. You'd have thought Joseph would have said, forget about dreams, it's useless. No, he says, oh, I, I know the God of dreams. I'll tell you what they mean. And so you read, read it. I know some of you are looking at me crazy. Look, that's all in the scripture. You go back and read as Joseph wrote his own story of what happened. And he says, and the Lord blessed Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was suddenly taken out of that prison and made a world ruler. The rest is history. Why? Because he was continually 
handing this over to God and saying, this is my inheritance, I can't handle it, you handle it, while I get on and receive your blessing and bless everybody that's here. Do you realize every person that comes into the field, uh, your field, your, like a magnetic field, well, they come into that field, it's the field of your influence, the field of your presence, they've walked into your inheritance. And it's for you to cause them to be part of your blessing, to recognize they are there. Do you understand that? I wish we had another, I'm not going to take another hour, but I need it right now. Look, 1 Corinthians 3, 21. So then, said Paul, let no one boast in men. For all, can you get this? All, all things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Peter, they were the great teachers of the church. He says, don't start building an organization around them as if they own you. And he's including himself in that. He says, God has given them to you. They belong to you. I belong to you. God has given me to you to bless you in your Christian life. But then he goes on and says, or the world, everything, the whole world system, he says it belongs to you, or life, or death, things present, things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. What does he mean by that? Well, it certainly means you're not a victim of anything. It certainly means that everything and every person that passes into your life, you can there discover the beauty, the glory, the strength, the love and life of God as you could not discover it anywhere else because it belongs to you. It has been, it's your inheritance. Now start enjoying it. Either that person comes with something that you need. I trust I'm one of those. All persons come and they look like enemies and you delightfully hand them over to the Lord and free up to bless them. And when you do that, you enter into a joy and a peace that I don't have enough words to describe. Peter described it as a joy unspeakable and full of the glory of God. So it isn't, if you notice back there in Romans 8 where it says that uh, the whole list of things like he's just given here, um, and he says they cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ. Nothing that ever comes in your life can separate you from the love of God in Christ. But now he says, it's not only that they can't separate you, it says that they're yours because they belong to Christ Christ died and receives them, that in them and through them and by them they shall bring you the inheritance that Christ your head has. All things, all the people who pass through our lives, everything that happens in your home, your neighbors, the persons in your work, the enemies, the friends. He says that you get, get into this flow that that I'm in Christ and Christ in me and I hand this over to you that I may discover you here 
so that every person, every event works together for good to those who love, walk in union with Him. Let, let me, I'll finish with this, and I, I, I hope you get the story. Um, we, we inherit, see, this piece of the earth. And uh, when the Bible speaks of this in the Old Testament, it says, every place where the foot, uh, the sole of your foot shall tread, which means an intentional step, not a slouch through life, but I tread here, I tread here. It's, it's my home, it's my work, it, it's, it's where I tread. And wherever I tread, I'm bringing with me this. My, I, so I come into your home, I bring my inheritance there. And here I'm going to bless you with my inheritance. It's that piece of the earth. And I, I saw this in Nigeria. I was in the city of Kaduna, which um, is essentially a Muslim city. And if you followed the news in recent months and years, you know that can be a terrible thing in Nigeria. And the persecution against the church was horrendous. But the congregation understood this that I'm sharing with you tonight. And so I'm leaving out a lot of this story, except for the where I came in. Um, they, they were allowed to have church in the city of Kaduna. And that's a miracle by itself. But the authorities gave to them a parking lot that was in the most dangerous, the lowest, the most crime-filled, the most immoral part of the city. And they said, you, you can have church, but that's where you're going to have it. We won't let you have it anywhere else. And so the church went into that parking lot, pitched a big tent, and they took this that I'm seeking to share. They embraced that whole neighborhood, that whole area of the city, and they handed it over to the Lord and said, now here we are, you do what only you can do. We will bless this people. And they said the very, wherever the feet, our feet tread, there we bring the blessing of God. It's our inheritance. From that day, crime went down. Immorality went down until it went and that whole area became one of the safest places in the city where persons not only simply answered an appeal to come to Jesus, but their lives were transformed. It, the church became bigger and bigger and bigger, and its influence went through that whole part of the city. So much so that the governors of the city said um, they're, they're getting too successful. We've got to give them a worse place. We've got to kick them out of there. And so the, the authorities came and they said, you've got to leave this parking lot. You've got to go and they get them a place on the other side of the city. You're, you're too successful here. Um, you're becoming a threat to us. And the, and the pastor said to them, this is where I came in, um, so the, I'm reporting what I saw. They, they, they said, well, um, 
this earth belongs to us. We have blessed this parking lot earth and we have blessed these streets out from here. And so we'll go, we will obey the authorities, but we will pick up this parking lot and carry it with us for it is our blessed earth. And we take with us this blessing because the blessing is in Christ in us. And you are throwing us out and you are therefore refusing the blessing. And it's the strangest procession I'd ever been involved in where a church of multiple hundreds of people, each with a piece of the parking lot in their hands saying, this is our blessed earth. And, and, and the authority is almost whipping them out because of their success to the other side of the city. As the last one was seen going out of the, on the street to the other side of the city, the first murder in months took place. And within a week, the, the persons came back into that area and the murder and the brothels and everything. Because those people, they were the blessing of God in that place. And they had blessed the very earth on which they stood. I, I hope you realize, I'm talking about you, that your home is blessed and out from there goes blessing to your neighborhood. Wherever you put your foot, which is into your workplace, into your school, wherever you tread, there you carry the blessing that is yours. And there you and you meet with people hostile, but you simply put them into the hands of God and you watch what He does. The meek do inherit the earth. God Himself has become tangled up in you with the earth on which you walk and the earth where you live and work and play and relate and therefore you bring into that earth the very presence of God. You bring blessing into every home that you come into. And you're doing it intentionally. You, you feel the very energy in your words that this is the way it is. So that as he is, so are we in this world. So I trust this has opened your eyes. I trust you'll never forget Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And next week we shall go to our next beatitude. But now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing that is upon you in Christ shall now be realized in you through His Holy Spirit. And you shall carry his blessing into every dark place of your life and world. And you shall be known as the salt of this earth and the light of the world. So I bless you this night and declare that is the way it is.